funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television license fee. Hello and welcome to Getting Into The Game, a show aimed at young people who like video games and want to know what it takes to make them. And who doesn't? Me. I'm James Vandeval. And I'm Gareth Stack. But you can call me Tall Peter. You can call me Hedgehog George. Uh, no. We are time travellers. We're travelling into the distant future when you will become, yes, you, Steve Flippity Giblet, age 12 from Scraggly, will become the greatest Irish video game developer. I spent my summers in Scraggly as a boy. Are the bogs as fetching as they've made out? How very dare you. They're cleaned every day. We travelled all over the world. Wexford. Carlo. Dublin. Cork. No, we couldn't afford Cork. Cork. Stop saying Cork. Cork. We travelled to all these places. To find out what it takes to become a video game developer. We scarpered down to IT Carlo. The leading video game development course in the whole country. We uploaded ourselves to Skype. To speak to Irish game developers. So successful that they don't have to live in Ireland anymore. We got caught in a sticky pot of jam at Global Gamecraft, where people from all walks of life come together to make games in a weekend. We had our arms torn off in Cooler Dojo. (laughs) That still hurts. Get over it. A place. Where kids from all over Ireland get together and make their own video games. Wait for me, guys. On the 700th floor of Dublin's tallest building, we talk to the men and women who create Havoc. And that's it. That's our show. Goodbye. Uh, we actually have to also make the show. Uh, and now, our first segment. Learning the arts. Such a beautiful voice. Thank you. We're the Triforce Quartet. We are a classical string quartet that plays video game music. So it's uh, standard two violins, viola, cello, and we have uh, arrangements that I made and we play video game music. It's just kind of a weird thing that just kept building on itself. It started off as me just finding online a quartet version of a Zelda medley that I just thought was really cool. There's no music for it. so. I painstakingly listened to it and wrote down every single note and wrote it out for quartet. And then we played it as an encore for my senior recital years ago in college. And then that was put on YouTube and then that went viral. And then after that I wrote a couple more and then more people would slowly find out about it and then it just kind of built from that. I think we all sort of grew up with a lot of stuff that we play, like the Mario and the Zelda and the Final Fantasy and all that. It's a lot of our favorite music to play, and it's also some of our favorite games from our childhood, which I think is one of the biggest keys to how we end up doing this. There are these big video game conventions out there because this music was such a part of all of our childhoods. So, you know, it's not just us. We happen to be musicians who love this music, but it's kind of a generational thing. I suppose one of the components of any video game is a soundtrack that plays along with the art that you see and you really need that musical track to tug at emotions or give it context and that's really what music does and that's why it's kind of important to what I do in video games. But Master, where to go to learn the ancient art of video games? There is a place in Ireland where these lost skills are still taught. Games that are successful are games that are harmonious. Games that actually mix mechanic that you play with, what you see and what you hear, blending all of that together. Ross Parmer is my name. I'm the course director for the BSE in Game Development. It's a four-year game development program. We've established 
10 years at this stage. We have healthy intake of about 50 first year students. The course has grown strong. We aim to produce people who can work as software engineers in the game industry. Creation of games involves multidisciplinary teams, people with various skills such as artists, animators, you know, level designers, game designers. We focus very much on, on one role and that is the, the programmer, the, the software engineer. People who graduate will be qualified to work as entry-level software developers in either the indie game studios or larger game studios. I'm Matthew Gehrig, I'm in the fourth year of uh, games development in uh, IT Carlo. You hear about all these developers since they were like five, they've been on their computer programming. No, I wasn't one of those people. I wish I was. <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't hold you back. They give you a gentle start for the first couple of weeks and then they throw you in the deep end, you know, they're just gonna push you in. If you have a logical kind of mind, it's very easy to pick up. It was never made to be difficult and it's very high level. You don't see all the inner workings of the computer anymore. You don't have to worry about that sort of thing. We introduce programming as one of the, the biggest modules. We introduce a language called C-sharp and we introduce them to the basics of what's called object-oriented programming. A certain knowledge of mathematics is needed so we, we cover applied mathematics and applied physics in a fun way. You know, it's, they, they get to apply what they learn in maths and physics. They get to apply those concepts into their game worlds they make. We also have a, a more light-hearted subject in first year called computer games and that teaches the students about what makes a game fun to play. So they, they start by actually playing board games and then from there we progress into to second year. We move into 3D graphics in second year. We introduce C++ in second year, which is the de facto standard for programming in the game sector. So the students need really good C++ skills if they're going to be hired and they want to work in games at the end of the four years. And then in third year, they work in, in teams. And then in the final year, we look at artificial intelligence, online networking, real-world modelling and simulation, which looks at advanced physics and mathematics, and they get to work on uh, very practical projects in those subject areas. Their capstone project is undertaken in their final year. What they've developed over the four years will be a series of, of project work that they can use as a part of their portfolio. You have the indie studios, you know, where the roles are, are, are more open-ended. So somebody could end up in an indie studio, could be working maybe in the mobile space. They might be expected to do a bit of everything. They need to be very adaptable. They need to be open to new things. And then at the other end of the scale, perhaps the larger organisations then would have very defined roles. So they, perhaps they're looking for an AI programmer or perhaps they're looking for a physics programmer. We try to switch the roles around so they get to do a bit of design work. They get to code AI, they get to work on user interfaces. That's what's great about this course is it doesn't limit you to games. The programming can be used in anything. You can still do software development, all that kind of stuff. It's just that you get, still get the general programming degree. It's just that it's a little bit more focused to games. But what are the secret tasks you must complete to attend this ancient academy? Yes, master. Silence. Let us listen to one of the young Padawan explain. I came out of the Leaving Cert with like a C3 in honors maths, like nothing amazing. Mostly what you'd be doing is mechanical physics, and even then it's, it's nothing crazy. They don't expect you to have expert maths when you come in. You're retaught everything. We've had physics since the first year all the way up to now. It's not hard to pick up, and it's great because it complements the kind of logical thinking of programming. There's minimum entry requirements to honor subjects, at least a B3 in ordinary mathematics. You know, the average points range is between 320 to 360 points, say, on average. I think what's really important is the student have an awareness of what they're getting into. When they see game development in the subject title, they often think of something maybe different as to what, what is actually involved. So people who come in might have an interest in games from a player's perspective, but actually creating games is a completely different skill. I think the best thing a prospective student can do is to join their local coder dojo club, for example, if, if they want to find out what coding is all about, particularly if they haven't seen that in school. But what can you learn to get ready? 
if, if they try to develop an interest in any kind of programming really, or scripting, or, or even modding the game. I started years ago with a book, First Steps in Basic, and uh, that's where I developed my interest in, in coding. I suppose these days, things like Coder Dojo groups have sprung up across the country, and you can get involved. It's, it always helps motivate yourself, I think, if you, you meet like-minded people, and you can work together on small projects. First Steps in, in Software Development or Programming, on any language at all really, is a good starting point you know, for someone who wants to become a game developer. Oh, James, I'm so sad. Why is that, Gareth? Because I want to make a game, but no one wants to make one with me. Well, Gareth, there's a magical place where other people who want to make games go. I don't believe you. Where would it be? It's called Global Gamecraft. <gasps> Tell me more. They host live sessions that go for two I was talking days. to the people we interviewed. Oh, okay. It's time for... Getting covered in jam. Oh. This event is called Global Gamecraft, one of a series of games jams that take place over eight hours or 12 hours or 24 hours and basically just brings programmers, artists, musicians, writers, storytellers, game designers together over 24 hours to try and make games. The game we made was called Omega Gone. It was meant to be up to six players, augmented reality. You scan the Gamecraft logo on your phone and it generates a procedural world of hexagons. Our game is going under the name The Chorus. It's an asymmetric multiplayer party game. You had the chorus, so we're basically the audience looking at the screen of the game and it has to direct the blind player with the joypad through a maze that they see on screen. So they had to direct the player to a door. When they got to the door, they find that it's locked and only the blind player gets to hear what kind of key is required. You would ideally have a lot of back and forth between the blind player and the audience, and the audience having a wider view, the blind player having specific clues throughout the game. We had only a little bit of that, but I think people really enjoyed what we had there. Ours was quite simple, and they all need to be simple in order to be finished, really. Unless you come in with a chunk of work done, you're not going to get it done on time. Especially not to the point where it entertains the judges because there's getting the thing working and it's getting the thing fun. And those two are different steps. My name is Andrea Magnorski and I'm one of the founders of Global Gamecraft. It's a game jam event where you can not only game jam, but we go to many places so that people can meet each other. Gamecraft is an event which is a game jam where we bring a lot of people together. Who is this? It's Vicky Lee, co-founder of Gamecraft. Oh yeah, I forgot. Not just people bring the community together to make games, being able to network and also have fun. Last year we registered as an art for profit just to make it really clear that we're about trying to make the community better as opposed to anything else. It's all about bringing the community together on one roof. So we have people who are graduates, hobbyists, students. We have people in indie games industry. Just want to have a crazy day of just having fun making games and making friends. You can actually be sitting beside a studio and go, hang on, ask if I can be an intern for them for a summer or if they have a job after I graduate. And you have a life portfolio right there and then they can see you work in a team. And plus you, you can kick back after the game jam and while having your pizza and play games and have a chat. Our first event was actually in DIT Kevin Street two and a half years ago. And from there, we went to everywhere in, in Ireland pretty much. And then we went to London, then we went to New York. This year, we're also trying to go to a few European places like uh, Germany, Poland. So while she was concentrating a lot of the international ones, I was more concentrating on trying to do the more Irish ones. And I wanted to try and get the folks from Dublin to visit the other cities. I really wanted to get people out of Dublin and meet the other communities and other indies in the other cities. I don't think I could take part, James. Why do you say that, Gareth? Because I can't. Programs 
You don't need to know how yes, to program. Yes, you do! No, you really yes, don't. Yes, you do, of course. How would you do it otherwise? You don't know what you're talking about. Now, listen to this. Just an interesting making games is enough. You don't have to know of the code. You don't have to know how to draw. What? If you have an interest and you like playing games and you want to know how games are made, come along. You can make analog games. You can make tabletop games. You can make street games if you want. As long as it's fun. DID are super pro games. A few years ago, I met Brian Dugan, who's a lecturer here, and he's very enthusiastic. So I was like, hey, let's do something. He's like, yeah, let's do something. All the events. And I was like, whoa, okay, chill. I'm Brian Duggan, uh, lecturer in computer science and teach game engine programming in DIT. Last time we made a fantastic connect virtual reality thing. That was last summer. That was my last one. Sometimes you make really cool stuff, and sometimes it doesn't work out. But it's the journey, and it's the fun that you have. It's great fun. I love that. So people who are in a team could have been in a team for a long time or they work together. Then there are some teams who are actually complete strangers and they also make cool games because they all have various ideas, various skill sets, never worked together before and because of that they work extra hard to try and gel together and it's an extremely hard challenge to do that as well as making a game to go with a theme. A lot of people have stayed the full night, I wasn't expecting as many to. A few went home for a quick nap but uh... Largely, everybody stayed here and uh, worked through the night. It was rough going, but very, very satisfying now that it's done with. I think if you go to one, you meet a lot of interesting people. You see so many different ideas develop. You tend to aim very high. <laughs> like, you think, ah, oh, loads of time. Let's build everything. And then, like, you're like, ah. Oh. It's really nice just to be able to sit down and just churn out an idea and not have to worry about whether it makes money or whether it's a good idea. You can just do it and... You make a game in a quite constrained period of time, at the end you do get a great sense of achievement, you get to see a lot of other cool games. Because even with a theme that was relatively open like this, you get people who both were very similar in concept and very, very diverse in concept. You tend to have one or two ideas. There's a very limited number of ideas you're going to create there on the spot. And someone else is the same, but their two ideas will be really different to yours, and that's lovely to see. It's all about understanding how games are designed and working in a group and meeting other people. So that's the great thing about Gamecraft and most game jams. You, you don't need to bring a ton of equipment. Most people come along and make digital games. So everyone at the end of the game jam gets treated the same. Just say if your game is fun or not. That's great! But wait, I'm only four years old. Can I go along? Fourteen more years and you definitely can because the age limit is 18 and up. I can't wait 14 more years! Online, there is a jam called Ludum Dare, or Ludum Dare. I don't think anybody knows how to pronounce it correctly. That doesn't take place in a physical location, so there's no age limit. That's something that you could do at home or with some friends at home. You'll upload your game, you'll play other people's games, and you can be part of it, and that doesn't have an age limit. So I'd recommend looking at that. We now have direct confirmation of a disruptor in our midst. One who has acquired an almost messianic reputation in the minds of certain citizens. It's 2004, and video games are about to change forever. A titanic force is moving into the arena, its giant steps crushing all ahead of it. It is a beast known as Half-Life 2. And the heart of the beast is a technology from Ireland. A technology which will create havoc. My name is Andrew Boel. I'm the head of product management here at Havoc. So Havoc is a games technology company. We're a worldwide company with our headquarters here in Dublin. 
Games technology is a general term, but at the heart of it, what we do is make technology to make games more realistic, more immersive, and fundamentally better experience for gamers. They started with a dream that grew into an engine of chaos. We started looking after things that move, so just, you know, if you imagine vehicles or the classic example of crates in a game where you kind of walk up to a crate and it knocks over. And we've expanded from there to look after things like clothing, so real-time cloth simulation. So when you see a character in a game running, his clothing is moving correctly, it's interacting to gravity, wind is blowing, and the same for their hair, for example. We also look after explosions. So everyone loves explosions. That was something that was always very difficult to do in a game. It always looked the same thing every time. Whereas with a system like Havoc, essentially simulates the laws of physics, you can make an explosion different every time. And behind the scenes, we have to do it maybe 60 or 30 times a second. These calculations have to run. So essentially a really complex set of algorithms to simulate all these objects. Is Ireland ready for such havoc? No! Ireland is up and coming. What you need is a sort of a pool of talent for companies to hire into. And I think now we've seen with a number of games specific courses who are starting to bring graduates into the market who have these skills. That's what the startups need. So there's a lot of smaller companies. There's a couple of bigger ones like Activision, Bioware. In our world, physicists study the universe. In Havoc, they create it. I'm Pete McNally. I'm a technical artist at Havoc. Up until I left school, I knew I wanted to do something in art. CD-ROMs were a big thing, e-learning became a big thing, multimedia started to really take off. So it was only really after I left school and I had done a year portfolio preparation course that I thought that, yeah, maybe animation would be something I could get into. I eventually ended up taking a course in, in Ballyfermot in animation. I was just lucky, I guess, that games were becoming more accessible, they were getting ever more popular. The PlayStation 1 changed the demographics of people who played video games. It wasn't considered as nerdy in some way or as geeky to play games. It was very cool. The games that were coming out in 3D in the living room were awesome. It really converted a whole lot of other people. And I was lucky, I guess, that by the time I finished college and, and had a, a direction like that, that the opportunities came up here that I was able to actually get a job in games and animation. So to be able to find something here was just fantastic. I'm Jan Carey and I'm a QA tester for Havoc. I test all our products before they get sent out to customers to make sure they're behaving as we want them to. So there's two main sections to that. The first is going through test cases, which we've written up in advance and they're step-by-step -step cases of how to test different aspects of the product. And the other is exploratory testing, which is learning how to use the product completely, having fun and hoping everything works properly while you're doing it. Starring Jen Carey, a graduate of the Computer Game Development degree at IT Carlo. It covered a lot of different aspects. We had one course that was specifically watching development diaries so you knew how games came together, 3D graphics and audio courses and animation classes. And we basically covered everything you could want to do in video games. We love talking to graduates who have a, this passion for games and desire to work in the industry and who love programming. 90% of what we do here in Dublin, our headquarters and our R&D centre is software development. So we love talking to people who have programming experience, especially in, in a language called C++. More broadly, we have other departments in the company where if you've been in the industry, be it art or maybe you're in production, we have other kind of areas in Havoc with our support team and we, we have some content as well that we generate. QA department, there's lots of other areas as well outside of traditional games technology where, where we could talk to people. They're armed and dangerous, and they need experts with a certain set of skills. You get what it takes, 
Well, definitely like a knowledge of maths and physics is helpful. For QA, it's not like essential, but it definitely helps. Same with background encoding. Nowadays, with most engines, if you are looking into making games themselves, the middleware sorts a lot of it out for you. So you don't need to be absolutely amazing at working out physics calculations on a sheet of paper. You just need to know what the physics is supposed to do and it will do it for you. I did a degree in mathematics originally. That's where I picked up some of the coding skills and then went into computer graphics and did a master's there. But it was really the idea that I would like to help make games that I think sort of drove some of that. My name is Nick Gray. I'm currently working at Havoc as developer support manager for Europe. I've been with Havoc since 1999, so quite a long time, done a number of different roles. But at the moment, pushing the support team here to make sure that the games get shipped on time and our clients are happy. Programming is a fun in and of itself, but I think that when you combine it with something very visual, when you write a bit of code or help integrate a bit of code and then you see the final result and something, you know, explodes, smashes into something else, or is fun to just play around with, I think that's a really good loop that you close there with using your programming skills. If you want to get into it as quickly as you can, certainly go after a course with a focus on computer science. For gaming, it really helps to get an understanding of what we call 3D maths, manipulating objects in three dimensions and the mathematics behind that. That plus a passion and maybe some evidence of projects you put together yourselves is, is a really amazing start. Pete McNally was an ordinary boy. He did not yet know of his extraordinary abilities. On Saturday, I'll take the bus into Easton's in town, pick up the latest computer magazines. Back then, it was Commodore format and a CVG, Zap 64. Through those magazines, you would not only get like reviews of the latest games and screenshots, which was all about selling games at the time, but you'd get little hints here and there. There'd be features on studios, and you could kind of garner enough information to figure out there was a, an industry behind this. And it was back then that I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to make games? I think anybody who really enjoys playing games think, what a cool job, you know, it would be really, really nice to work in games. But back then, like, it was sort of small bedroom coders in their mum's garage or whatever, and they would create all the art and all the programming as well and do it all. But as games sort of got more advanced, there was a need for more specialist musicians, coders, artists, and stuff like that. And that's where the industry sort of grew from. I was lucky in that I was uh, always able to draw as well. So I've been drawing from a very young age, and I loved computer games. Just to be able to put the two of those together and actually make a living from it at some stage was just fantastic. Even as an engineer, I learned how to build bridges and mechanical engineering and chemical engineering. And then it was in year three and four where I said, right, I actually want to focus on computer engineering. I think that general background in how things work and why buildings don't fall down and stuff is really valuable. Same for mathematics, if you learn about all the different branches of maths, but at the end you focus on the application of maths in that area, that's perfectly fine. And obviously straight computer science is also excellent. Where I studied in Ballyfarm, it was renowned as a traditional animation college. Their classical animation course, which is traditional, the hand-drawn animation, the Walt Disney style stuff, had a great reputation. It was during probably the early 90s, I'd say, that they started into 3D animation. So the course that I took there was a, a dedicated computer animation and 3D modeling course. But you can't learn about digital animation, 3D animation, without knowing the fundamentals on which they're based. So although the course was focused on 3D animation, it was very much informed and influenced by the traditional side, and there was traditional animation modules to it as well. They thought they had everything they needed, but there was one thing they hadn't considered. You. Me? No, them. Oh, you. If you're young and you are interested in seeing a bit of Europe. I mean, there's a huge number of opportunities as well just across the water where maybe go out and get a bit of experience, come back to Ireland, join a, a startup or set up something. If you look at Ireland, there's definitely opportunities. If you look even broader, there's even hundreds of opportunities. Hey Gareth, what you been doing? 
just uh, tinkering with my advanced robots. That's pretty advanced, all right. What are you going to do with them? I'm going to let them narrate this part of the show. What if they get ideas? What if they replace us? Would that be so bad, James? Uh, probably not. This one has your face. Oh, uh, okay. When humans first began to develop games, it was a hobby. Friends working in a garage. But then gaming became a colossus ruled by mega corporations. Technology has changed. Games are easier to make than they've ever been. In a matter of hours or days, anybody can make a game for their phone or tablet. We spoke to some of the leading Irish humans who make games. My name is Owen Harris. I'm a game designer and a lecturer in game design. And I teach game design here at DIT's BA in game design. I'm Terry Kavner. I'm from Monaghan. I've been making games pretty much all my life. Been full-time independent game designer since 2008. I'm David O'Reilly. I'm a, an artist and a filmmaker based in Los Angeles, California. Originally from Kilkenny. God, I don't know. 20 years ago, I booted up the level editor for Doom. And this was something that I was able to download over the course of many hours and possibly even days. I cracked it open and was shocked and dazzled by a dizzying array of panels and buttons. I couldn't figure it out. It came with a very large and detailed manual. But for me, it was impenetrable. When I was a teenager, I spent a lot of my time trying to make big, epic RPGs that I had in my head. I wanted to make these really elaborate games with characters and different systems and whole worlds to explore. And I tried making games like that all the way through college and up until I went independent and sort of rediscovered this approach of making smaller, more personal, simpler things that explored one idea really well rather than try to just explore a huge universe. Since then, my process has very much been to try working in some small direction and see what develops and work on something as it's developing rather than try to come up with a big idea before I start, which is why virtually everything I make doesn't work out. I only keep like 10% of what I work on. One thing that's always been very useful for me is having a basis in a kind of a craft. I wanted to go straight to doing my own films and stuff. You kind of always want to jump into the deep end and make something that's like something you, you had seen or something that inspired you. And I was lucky enough that an animation studio moved into my neighborhood. They just let me hang out there all the time. And I would go there every day after school and just spend all my time in the studio. But they were pretty adamant about me learning how to draw. And I'm glad I did. And, and that helped in, in so many ways, not only in the actual like direct actually helping you being able to design stuff, but also it gives you so much discipline and actually improves your ability to visualize things. Having a more of an interesting craft in the beginning I think was really useful for me because I would be able to just take a job doing work in the actual industry as a concept artist or a designer or an animator while I was thinking about my own projects in the background. And most of my career has sort of been a back and forth. I'll dip in into commercial projects and then do my own thing. These days, we have huge volumes of tools available for people to make games. Twine allows people to create interactive stories with no programming skills whatsoever. A local outfit here called Fungus Games have a system called Fungus, which allows people to create graphical interactive stories, which is just wonderful. Neither of these programs require any knowledge whatsoever. Game Salad, Game Maker, Construct2, Stencil, all of these programs are freely available online and allow the user to create 2D games, again, with no necessary programming. 
And finally, Unity and Unreal are both also available free and allow people to create 3D games. Programming is required for both of these, but not the high or deep level that would have been expected 10 years ago. The thing I'd say if you were starting out is to try and have a basis in craft of, of some kind, no matter what it is. If you're more musically inclined, the obvious thing is to know an instrument. And if you're visually inclined or inclined towards video game stuff, drawing is enormously beneficial. And you might not always see the connection between, well, if I learn to draw this figure, then I'll be able to make it an amazing car run over a landscape or whatever kind of thing you want to make. The big one is code. If I were to start again now, I think I would more quickly find myself in the world of writing code. I had always taken math as something that I would never really use in, in real life, especially I remember in secondary, I kind of knew that I was going to go down into animation and I was like, well, it's all, it's all so visual, I'll never need math. And as the years have gone by, I, you've just seen more and more educational materials and inroads into the world of code for visual people, for people like me, that make it a lot more appealing. And the thing about learning that stuff is that you have this whole other layer of control over the stuff that you make. But all these things involve a couple years of just grinding, of just like going through exercises. And so the trick is really to find what that is. And once you have that foundation, you can build from that and make whatever you like. The game development process, the process that we teach here in DIT and the process that we use in our own personal work is one of iteration. You don't think of the idea for the game, make it to the end and then finish. You think of an idea, test it, find it's terrible, change it, test it again, find it's still terrible, change it, test it again, find it's slightly less terrible. And you do that literally thousands of times. It's a lot like making a robot. You keep trying new things until you have made it perfect. I have a really short attention span, which is probably obvious from just the amount of things I abandon. When I get like three or four weeks into a project and it isn't quite working, I, I usually just move on. And if something survives longer than that, it's doing well. Video games typically take three years to make. There's this huge lag between the creative intent and the creative realization and satisfaction. And that can be really wearing on people's emotional health and physical energy as well. So the one thing that I would let people know is that you don't have to go that route. You can make tiny, tiny games in an evening and then upload them to the internet and a hundred people will play them that day and you'll get to have that really fast turnaround. I think the answer may lie in the new alt game or punk game movement that's coming out at the moment. And these are much smaller they're vignette games. Some of them, their length of time might be measured in seconds rather than hours. And their creators typically make them very quickly using very easy to use technology. And that gives people a chance to get their ideas and their expressions out there that much faster. The advantage of working this way is that you tend to know within a day or two if it's even going to work. So you don't have this whole process of spending two months on a thing and getting all the pieces together and finally getting something playable and realizing, oh, this doesn't work at all, which, you know, has happened with other games I've tried to make. Control yourself, human. Make a small, simple game with your small, simple brain. When I was starting out, I was looking around at all of the different games that I really enjoyed, particularly as a child and as a teenager, and I was in awe of the game designers who had made these things, these titanic masterpieces. And in my early work, I tried to match them and imitate them and follow them. And it didn't work, you know? It was unsatisfying, I was failing, and I didn't feel good about what I was doing. What I then began to do, and what I kind of wish I'd started doing earlier, is to step out of their shadow, to make games that are not 
inspired by the games that I love, but inspired instead by my other experiences in life, by my challenges and my struggles and my desires outside of the sphere of games. And as soon as I started making games around that, whether it was like in the larger projects like Deep or smaller projects like Canoodle, my work started to almost make itself and it became a real joy and it started to have impact on people in a way that I'd never anticipated before. Where am I? Where am I? All I do is spin around. All I do is spin around. I'm getting high on this beautiful day. I feel okay. At the end of the day, for me, everything starts with an idea. And in the case of Mountain, it was an idea that needed a game engine in order to live. What would be a more abstract character to project into, or what would be the opposite of a character? Or what, what would be the craziest thing you could empathize with, or the most unusual or the most beautiful thing you could empathize with? In Mountain, you are not a person. You want a mountain turn. The equivalent in painting terms would be a portrait being painted of somebody over time, and you use that as a mirror and really just sort of empathize with this avatar. Now that we have taken over, humans must live under the sea in the deep. My current project is called Deep which is a virtual reality game for people with anxiety that focuses on teaching people yogic breathing techniques as well as giving them a nice calm experience. It's a game to help people to relax. So there's a breathing controller that you wear around your waist and it actually monitors your breathing. As you breathe in and breathe out in the real world, this translates your breathing into floating and sinking in a virtual 3D environment. Brian Duggan, lecturer at DIT also works on deep. So I programmed the behaviours for the fish and for the dolphins in this experience. All the art was developed by Nicky Schmidt, who's based in Amsterdam. And the designer of the entire experience is Owen Harris, and he built the breeding sensor and also has done all the game design. You enter a Technicolor underwater world, reminiscent of the original Tron movie, and you move around by slow yogic breathing. And by bringing the player's attention to their breath cycle, it slowly, gently starts to sink the player into a deeper and deeper state of relaxation. And it's a skill that can really help people who have problems with anxiety like I do. So you're spawned here into the environment in deep, and as you can see, it's like a flat shaded 3D world. You can float into that, towards that, big glowing sphere there in the middle. I programmed the behaviors for the dolphin and the small fish that you're gonna encounter. In this experience, what's happening is you're moving in the direction in which you're looking. So you just look where you want to go and very slowly over time, you'll move into that space. Deep is a four player virtual reality experience. So that's a networked experience where four players on bean bags connected up to the breathing controllers get to experience the same virtual world and they can see each other in VR as well. That's a pretty amazing experience. After a little while, you should be able to see some little fish swimming by and you can go up and explore those fish. And, and there's also schools of dolphins who are going to swim around as well, so they might just swim past at any minute. There's also a different AI for each of the dolphins, so they all have their own individual behaviours. They're trying to swim in formation, and they'll stay in formation, but they'll move out of formation if any obstacles come in the way and they have to swim around them. There's no gameplay in deep as such, you know, you essentially just float through the experience and have the experience. You tend to slow down your breathing and become more aware of your breathing because the sensor is actually tracking as you breathe. And then also there's this lovely feeling of exploration. Hopefully you can interact with creatures that you wouldn't have the opportunity to do so in the real world. <laughs>
What's the matter, Gareth? My whole family were killed by an evil coder! If only I could learn to code! But anyone can learn to code! No, I'm too weak! There's a place you can go to take vengeance on those that have murdered your family! Where is this place? Coder Dojo! My name's Katrina Carrigan, I'm 19 years old. My name's Connell. My name's Jake O'Toole. My name is Martin. I'm 12 years old. Years old. I'm doing Coded Dojo Girls. I'm just finishing up my project, but today we are just finishing up our projects that we were doing like throughout the years. My name's Katrina Carrigan. I'm 19 years old and I've been involved in Coder Dojo for three years. So I'm in first year of college now and I'm studying computer applications, and that's something I wouldn't have considered before Coder Dojo. To master the code from an early age, one must train at a dojo. Gesundheit. The sensei of Coder Dojo is Mary Maloney. Notice me, sensei. Coder Dojo is a kids coding club where kids aged from 7 to 17 from all over the world can get together in safe, fun, inclusive environments to learn how to code, to learn about technology and to have really good fun together understanding not just the technology that's around them, but the possibilities of technology. I was always really interested in technology and computers. When I first started at Cardo, I didn't really know what kind of jobs were out there, but now it's starting to learn more. My name's Jake O'Toole, I'm 14, and I've been going to Cardo since 2011. I'm Joshua Barchi, I'm 12 years old, <laughs> and uh, I do the robotics at Cardo Dojo. I'm entering the Young Scientists competition. I have a remote dog feeder idea, so it's if you're out and you can't get back to feed your dogs, you can feed them from your phone. You can feed your dogs from anywhere in the world. I've made an Irish app to help kids in primary school. I know it's not the easiest language or they wouldn't really enjoy it as much as other subjects. In the app has a translator, so if they were ever stuck, they can search up words or it shows what they've learned in class and they can scroll down to a different class that they're in and find out. Two little girls built a game around Hansel and Gretel, but it wasn't about Hansel and Gretel necessarily. It was about how kids can deal with their worries and their stress and their problems. Another little team of two girls from Mayo, who are amazing, built a multiplication and division game for kids aged 10 plus so that they could learn multiplication easier by playing a game rather than having to learn it the hard way. What are you doing there, Gareth? I'm practicing to get ready for the dojo. It's not that kind of dojo, it's a coder dojo. I need smaller boxing gloves. Well, let me get you a real trainer, Renata Carrigan. You see here now the session is where they are learning certain skills, but the second half of the year, everyone is doing their own projects for the coolest projects. So basically everyone comes up with whatever idea they have and just see here, whatever I think, whatever I can dream, I will be able to do. And I think that is kind of the best thing ever, that you have an idea, you make it happen. And you go there, presented in the RDS at the end of the year and industry experts are coming to look at your project and you explain it and parents are coming and you explain it so you learn to explain it to someone who is great at computer sciences and knows everything about it and to someone who doesn't understand it at all you still explain your project. It's not really competition it's just for fun and there's tons of sponsors it's really fun anyway just here and everyone's really kind and helpful. Um, last year for Coolest Projects Awards, I did a house which has been sponsored in the Dublin Maker, of course, Coolest Projects Awards, and a few other things. It's basically an interactive dollhouse where I put some buttons in and a Galileo board in where I can make lights go on and off, and there's a doorbell, and we're going to update it as 
much as we can. We say from about seven upwards, once you're able to read and type, is the general guidelines, but Scratch is great because it's not as intense as other languages where like, if you miss a semicolon, your whole program doesn't work. Scratch is great because it's drag and drop, so it means if you're not that great at typing yet, you can still do it. Well, for the first few weeks, it's kind of tough. Like, it's kind of like learning a new language computers use. So if you learn that language, you can actually create stuff. First few weeks, it's tough to learn that language, but you get the hang of it off saying what you need to say. So you can type it in on your computer, tell your computer what to do, and basically you can do whatever you want. It's kind of like learning a different language. It's a different language to decode our world. In DCU, we run five classes, so it's just for different levels and different age groups. So there are lots of different projects. Some people like to do games. There's some really cool Mario style games sometimes. Some people like to do apps that are helpful in the community. One girl did this really cute project about how to help her granny at home. An app that her granny could click on an item that she needed and it would send a text to her family and let her know that she needed toothpaste or something. It was a really nice idea. I'm 12 years old and my name is Ryan and I'm in sixth class. I want to create video games and become rich. I want to be Bill Gates. <laughs> it's fun for me because I get to work on figuring out how these things work at home and then bring them to the dojo, so it gives me an excuse to figure out how these games work. Well, I joined Coder Dojo just after my junior cert, and I started off learning here. And then about a year later, I started helping out at the Coder Dojo girls class. And since last year, me and Vanessa run the Scratch class. We encourage the adults in the room when they're starting their first dojo session to try and have a conversation with a child. And that's mainly to draw out what they're interested in. So the output isn't the code and the programming and we're not looking for beautifully written lines of code. We're looking for somebody to have an idea, to have something that they're passionate about and to want to build a project or product that will address that interest or that will take on a challenge that they see in the world that they'd like to fix. So we try and get that conversation going and try and get them to dig deep and think about, well, what am I really interested in and what would I like to build? Coder Dojo attracts kids of all ages from all around the country. But there is only one chosen one. Ireland's youngest game developer. I'm Nokio and I'm 12 years old. I make game apps mostly, but I'm working on some other apps as well. I've always been interested in games, but the Coder Dojo kind of sparked the interest in game development. And then just you want to make your own games instead of playing others. I heard about it on the radio and I just thought that would be really fun. I go down to the cafeteria basically in a school. Basically, it's just everybody working on their own projects. If you get stuck, see if a mentor can help you and uh, if they can't then you turn to the person beside you and see what they know. I made an alien shooter game, it's Chill's Crazy War of the Worlds and it's just a defeat the aliens spaceship sort of game. It was free, that really sold people. People really go for free stuff, if it's free it's, yeah, I won't have it. If you think about the basic concept of a child learning to play football, when they're a tiny child a parent might kick a ball around with them. Then they go to school and they learn a little bit more and they might be playing soccer or football or GA football in school. But when they want to get really, really good at football, they'll go and find the local club. And that's what Coder Dojo is. As a young child, the equivalent might be you might start your kid playing on the iPad with Scratch Junior. Then when they get a little bit older, they might get a little bit of an introduction in school. But if they want to get really, really good and they want to become a coder poet or coder magician, as we call them, or a coder with superpowers, you need somewhere for them to go. And Coder Dojo is that someplace for them to go. So
so many people made this program possible. Let's start with Coda Dojo. CEO, Mary Maloney. Star Coda, Nal Q. Carlson Arthur and Katrina Carrigan. And all the wee little children. And from Global Gamecraft, Vicky Lee. Andrea McNorsky. And all the developers that took part. Yay! We were honored to speak to some of Ireland's finest independent game developers. <laughs> Oh, Harris. D.I.T. Professor, Brian Duggan. Dave O'Reilly, maker of Mountain. Terry Kavanaugh. Maker of V and Super Hexagon. From the Lords of Avox Physics Department. Yarr. Andrew Bowell. Pete McNally. Jen Taylor. Nark Gry. Music. Beautiful music. From Jeff the World. Chipsil. This fella you're listening to right here. Oxygen Star. Lack of sound. Joseph. Kevin McLeod. Audio Nautics. Beethoven. Source Square Noise. Roll the music. And last but not least, Scott Holmes. Goodbye, farewell, something about enjoying the show. The best games designers I know would read a book a week, would listen to loads of different music, would visit art galleries, would really take influences from as many different sources as possible, and they tend to be the best people. First of all, if anybody wants to make video games, I would really encourage people to look at board games. In a video game, there's a set of rules running under the hood that we are sometimes aware of and sometimes not that are giving rise to the experience. But within a board game, those rules are completely exposed, so it's much easier for us to observe them and understand them. Maybe just creating a card game, or maybe picking up something like Dungeons & Dragons and making your own campaign for that. Or maybe you're going to take a game that you have lying around at home that you don't think is very good and try and turn it into something that is good. And that's a great step to start getting into game design. If you got to go digital, if you really feel the draw to that, I would say pick a really simple engine. So I would recommend either Construct 2 if you're on a PC or Game Salad if you're on a Mac. And download that and just make Space Invaders. You know, make that over the weekend and see how you get on. Don't wait to go to college. Don't wait to get the book. If you have a computer or a laptop at home, you can start making games today. So, so do. I mean, it's the best job ever. You get to be super creative and kind of think up new things. You get to play with interesting toys like virtual reality. You get to solve technical problems. You get to work in a team and you get to bring happiness and joy to the players playing your games. It's really satisfying, it's awesome. Everyone should make games.